find ourselves in peril in the church, we will always find ourselves in perils in a nation. <clears throat> Someone once said, as so goes the church, so goes a nation. And that could never be more of an accurate statement. It seems like today as we celebrate this weekend, we realize that it's more than a long weekend. We realize that it is that time of the year where we memorialize those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And memorials go back all the way to the Old Testament in the beginning. I remember uh, one of the first ones we read about is with a man named Jacob. Wasn't really a memorial to death, but it was a memorial of something accomplished of greatness when he met with God. I remember when Joshua crossed over the Jordan, God gave him specific instructions from the middle of the river to bring stones out. And when they got on the other side to set up a memorial on the other side of the Jordan. And he said, when future generations come back. And ask, what is this memorial for? You can point back and say, it was for this. We find ourselves in a situation today where, just of recently, that we find ourselves in turbulent waters and great debate among ourselves. And a lot of it has to do with memorials. Uh, all of the energy that has been placed in New Orleans and the removing of memorials of people of the Confederate War, the Civil War, the, the uh, depending on which, which side you were on in that war, depend on how you terminized, what terms you used for that war. And uh, so as we look at that and we, we think about that, and, and now just this week uh, we, we see that this, the debate is coming home. Uh, right here to Rapids Parish, and it all has to do with memorials, and man, that's a significant dialogue uh, about that. But here is what uh, here's what we understand: is that memorials are set up to remember the sacrifice. Thirty-three million four hundred and six six hundred and seventy-eight is the amount of people that have been deployed in battles. 1,264,211 mark those that did not return. Those that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Those that did not return home. That doesn't list the ones who returned home without a limb. It doesn't miss, it lists the ones who returned home and have been unable to function as enabled citizens because of the stress that they find themselves living under, the depression. It doesn't list all of the veterans today that are homeless. It just lists the 1,264,211 lists those that paid the ultimate price. However, the number, which is uncalculable, is far greater for those who probably wake up many mornings and wish they had died on the field. People think 
homeless veterans or people who don't want to function in society when it's not. It's guys that come home and they live in depression the rest of their life because they lay awake at night and they think about the ones that did not return home and they feel guilty about living. They feel guilty about enjoying the benefits of life when the people that they were closest to abroad did not return home. They feel guilty when they look in the eyes of their children and they realize how many of their comrades, their brothers in arms, never returned home to look into the eyes of their children. Therefore, life becomes almost unbearable for many of them. Many of them turn to alcohol, to drugs, for things to self-medicate the pain away. The only problem is, you and I both know the problem with self-medication is it never really works. We find ourselves in greater peril. And yet we find ourselves as a nation thinking about the heaviness of this moment, <clears throat> thinking about the 33,406,678 that have been engaged in conflict for you and I. And yet now we find ourselves in a situation where we have no respect for one another. We find ourselves thinking that if we can do away with the history book, we can do away with the pain of the past. We find ourselves thinking and people resenting the very flag that many people had died for. We find ourselves where people literally are hostile towards one another. When we think about this, we realize that we as a nation are in great peril. We are in great distress. And matter of fact, today our greatest, and this is my personal opinion, and uh, so this will really be the only op-ed I give you today, but we find ourselves realizing that ISIS is not our greatest enemy, but we are our greatest enemy when we turn on one another. When we allow people to teach us and entrench us in ideological uh, talking points, and we begin to see the world only through those lenses, and we no longer seek to understand why we are where we are, how we got to where we are, and how we will move forward as a nation, that is when we find ourselves in great peril. Memorials are something that is a great structure and it's established to remind people of a person or event, a monument built as a memorial to those who fail. It's things that let us look back and see. They may not have always been the great things, but it brought us to where we are as a nation. Just this week or just last week, President Trump was part of the, the dedication in, of, um, of a memorial to 9-11. A memorial was set up right next to the piece of the Berlin Wall. You see, conflict has always been around. And God always knew that we would need things to point us back to, lest future generations forget where you may have traveled as a people. And if you forget where you've traveled as a people, you are always destined to retravel those same pathways. So what breaks my heart today as an American is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves where we can no longer have dialogue. We find ourselves where we can no longer have a differing of opinions. But that is not where these soldiers found themselves. 
The Bible describes it this way in the book of John, chapter 15 and verse 9. It says, as the Father loved me, so I also have loved you. Now, would you abide in that love? Would you remain in that love steadfast? It moves forward and says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, there's something interesting about this statement. He says, if you'll keep my commandments, you won't be infiltrated with hatred. If you abide in my love and you keep my commandments, you won't kill your neighbor. You won't sleep with his wife. And you can go all the way through the Ten Commandments and you will see this interesting dynamic. And then Jesus says, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Do you see that there? As we move forward in verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. How long has it been since we really expressed joy? How long has it been since we really experienced joy nationally? How long has it been since as a nation we have experienced national joy? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down one's life for his friend and then the one of the sweetest statements in the bible and you are my friends wow if you do whatever i command you no longer do i call you servants for servants do not know what his master is doing but i have called you my friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you, and you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask for, ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And by the way, this is my commandment, that you love one another. What is it that drives a soldier? What is it that keeps him moving forward on the battlefield? That thing is very simple. He understands the love to love like Christ. As I watch the news media, as I listen to racial agitators on both sides of the line, on different sides of the ethnic groups, what I see when I see that is I do not see the love of Christ. What I see in a soldier is the love of Christ. What I see in our military is them loving like Christ. You say, well... Not all of them are believers. The military is a pretty rough crowd. Well, let me tell you something about the military. When they are called to serve, they don't ask. They don't ask, what people group is it? They don't ask, what is their religion? When our National Guard is activated to national tragedies, they don't ask, what city is it? Is that a democratic city? Is that a republican city? Is that a, a red state or is that a blue state before we go? They don't say, are they Muslim? Are they Catholic? Are they Baptist? Are they Christian? Are they nothing? Are they atheist? They don't ask any of those questions. When our military is called to go, they go. They go because they have received an order to go. Our military has received an order to go. Our National Guard has received an order to go. Our police officers have received an order 
to go. It's an order. They, they don't make a suggestion. They don't say, hey guys, we just got a call from the White House or we just got a call from the Defense Secretary or we just got a call from the 911 Dispatch Center and you know what? I, there's, there's a conflict. There's a tragedy. There's a national disaster. I suggest that, you know, if you want to excel in the military or excel that you may go check it out. Is that what they say? No. They say you have an order to go. And many of them, many of them may even object to it. They may have a personal struggle with it. But they overcome personal struggles to persevere for the love of a nation. And Jesus looks at us and he says, this is my command that you love one another. Somebody asked me just this week, we were having great dialogue. What do you think is the, the answer for where we are as a nation, for all of the, the strife that we continue to find ourselves in? It seems like just whenever we, we, we get past a hump, it seems like, man, the world is looking for one more thing to put a finger in the eye. Our nation is looking for one more thing to agitate and stir conflict over. And, you know, when we think about that, we was talking about that, what is the answer? And I said the answer is for the church to be the church. Not to be in a religious organization that is more concerned about building their empire than they are about impacting a city. I'm talking about people that love like Jesus. That were willing to love those who are like them. Or willing to love those who are not like them. And willing to love those who hate them. As I've been reading the book about those who were tortured for Christ, one of the things that I am overwhelmed with is the love that they had for their, their, their torturers. How they prayed and would pray and would pray. I was reading one, one account of it and he said, Every day I would pray in my cell and I would say, Lord, let this guy be my Philippian jailer like the Philippian jailer was to Paul. Hey guys, that isn't a religious experience. That isn't a check your card on Sunday and say, I belong to such and such organization. No, listen, the older I get and the further I go in ministry, the more sickened I become by religiosity, by the spirit of of kingdom building on earth. Our job is not to build a kingdom for ourselves, but to build his kingdom. Jesus said, pray this way. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we think about that. I'm telling you the answer for the world today is for it to start right here in this church and to love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. It's not a suggestion. He didn't say, I suggest that, I, you know, it would be a good idea if you love your neighbor. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some of your neighbors that are unlovable, except through Jesus. There's some of them that get up every day, and they, they look for ways to personally agitate you. That is their mission in life. One of the things that we're looking at in Camp Payo in a couple of weeks and we'll be looking at here in our fall, it's called Staying is the New Going, Restoring the Art of Neighboring. How many of you remember the art of neighboring? A couple of us? I mean, it was your neighbor was not your enemy, it was your friend. 
And so when you're surrounded by neighbors like that, we don't, we're not able to opt out of this scripture. And when they wake up and say, how can I find ways to agitate you today? We should wake up on our knee and say, now, Lord, you know I can't love that old boy in the flesh. So therefore, I die to my flesh that I may live to you. And Lord, today, while they're looking for ways to agitate me, God, would you show me ways to love him? I'll never forget when I moved to my house on Marie Street, there was a lady that I tried to be neighborly to, and my goodness, she was a handful. And I made it my purpose in life. I said, you know what? I'm going to befriend that lady. I'm going to befriend that lady. She's going to become my friend. And so, man, I was like, Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? One, one day I woke up and I looked out there, and somebody had busted the windows out of her, her 1978 Buick. And she was in distress. So I went to my shop and I got my little shop back and I went over to her house and I started vacuuming all the glass out of her car. She said, I don't want you to do that. I said, well, ma'am, excuse me, but do you have a shop back? She said, no, sir. I said, well, you don't have a choice. I'm going to do it. I started thinking, God, how can we love her? So then I would take my mower and go over there and mow her grass. Now, some of them will sue you if you do that, if they're really mean. But I said, I am going to win her with love. Because I had a commandment. I didn't have a suggestion. And what we need is not to turn inward. My brothers and sisters in Christ, with the controversy that is brewing over memorials in the state of Louisiana that is coming close to Rapids Parish, and it's all over your social media feed right now, petitions signing for these monuments and that monuments, I'm telling you, don't you hit the retreat button. You have a commandment to love like Jesus, no matter what neighborhood they're from, no matter what their ethnicity may be, no matter what they may think about memorials, our greatest memorial is an empty tomb and an empty cross where Jesus paid the ultimate price that we might have the victory. It's an order. It's not a suggestion. Second thing we must do, and the second thing that our military men and women do is not only do they love like Christ, because they're willing to go and die for people, die for people that will never like them, will never respect them, will never appreciate them. To fight for people. To fight for people who will use the freedom that they obtain to come against them. Not only do they love those people like Christ, but they also give like Christ. Jesus says right here in this passage of Scripture, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment. It's an order that you love one another. The church has made such a mess of loving one another like Christ, we sure can't give like Christ. I'll never forget when we started our mission center in Montgomery, our helps ministry, our needs ministry. To receive food and stuff and a food box on a monthly basis, you would need to qualify and, and show your proof of income. 
I remember one time I, when we first started, man, the church wanted to get all up in arms, some of the people. And they were like, Pastor Brad, this person's taking advantage of, of our ministry. They're lying. They're lying to get the, the box. And I looked at them and I said, if they can live with it, Jesus can live without it. Love them and give to them anyway. Matter of fact, the Bible says if they want your jacket, give them your shirt also. I'll never forget the first block party that we had. There's two or three of us that was here at that first block party. We were trying to figure out how to do uh, life events in the community. And so we were giving food away. And I'll never forget, we had these admit one coupons. And on the back of it, it had a number. And we'd say, if you want food, then take these coupons. And you can get your hamburger. You can get your Coke. You can get whatever you want. And, but to get the tickets, you had to register. And so there was this lady that uh, was registering. And then she would come back and she would register somebody else. And so directly, somebody said, uh, Pastor Brad, that lady there is cheating. She's uh, getting all the stuff and taking it to her apartment, coming back and signing back up. We was on an apartment complex. Signing back up and, and, and taking that back. She'd come back, sign up, take it back. So I'll never forget, I saw her coming back from her apartment. I walked over there and I put my arm around her. And I said, walk over here with me for just a moment. I think she thought she was in trouble. And I said, I picked up a whole flat of chips. A whole flat of chips, a box of candy bars. And I told the other person that had an ice chest there with some drinks in it. I said, all this stuff is for this lady. And I looked at her and I said, hey, ma'am, you don't have to work the system here. We never was going to sell it. It's all for you. You don't have to lie. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to commit fraud. If you want it, take it. They'll carry it to your apartment. I said, just leave us a few burgers to give other people. To give like Jesus. You see, the people in our military, our soldiers, give like Jesus. It says, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for a friend. Then he lays down his life for one another. Think about that. It's one thing to die for a friend, but it's another thing to die for an enemy. It's another thing to die for people who will never respect you. And that is what our men and women in uniforms do every day. And let me say it again. When they report, they are willing, they are willing to lay down their life. Yes, they take precautions. But I am telling you, they are willing to deploy at the command of the enlisting officer to engage the battle and the conflict and for fight for people who hate them who resent them, who will turn their back on them, who will betray them, but nevertheless they go and pay the ultimate price in many cases. Over 1,300,000 people have paid that ultimate price in our nation. Greater love. If you look up that word greater in the original language, it carries a heavy meaning. It actually means elder. Greater love, the oldest love is what that is saying. Think about that. Not just, we, we think about greater love in our limited English language. We think about, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody says, I love you to the moon and back. I remember when, my, when, when the twins were little and we, I'd say, you know, I love you bigger than whatever. I remember the first thing they ever said, they said, I love you bigger than Walmart. 
And I thought, man, that was pretty cool. You know, in a, in a concept of a three-year-old, the biggest thing they could think of was Walmart. They said, I love you bigger than Walmart. When we think about this verse, the greatest love, the biggest love to the moon and back is the greatest amount of love. But that's not what this verse is saying. It is saying the oldest kind of love there is is when somebody is willing to lay down their life for a friend. That's not new love. That's not infatuation. That's the oldest kind of love that there is. And Jesus says, I don't want you to have some kind of newfangled love. I want you to have a love that is willing to lay down his life for you because I am about to lay down my life for you. This is my commandment that I give you. That you give like Jesus. That you love like Jesus. And that you bear fruit. For Jesus. John 15. And. 16 say this no longer do I just call you servants but you're my friend for all things that I have heard from the father I've made known to you you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that you should have fruit that remains and by the way this is my commandment once again that you love one another. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so people will know that you are my disciples. Men and women in uniform bear great fruit. And we are the beneficiaries of it. We are not in secret church this morning. We are not in hiding yet. We are not in a situation where we are running for our lives. We are not under the threat of the martyr's death for being believers in Christ. And that is because of men and women that paid the ultimate price. Because they love the concept of freedom. They love the concept of this experiment with self-governance. They love the concept of the United States of America. That they said, not only am I willing to love it like Christ, but I am willing to give like Christ. And because they were willing to do those two things, we are the beneficiaries of the fruit. Many of you were the beneficiaries of what they call the greatest generation who was the greatest number of casualties in war who went off to fight for a nation to not just for the United States but to liberate the world. Can I tell you that the United States tried to mind its own business in World War II. They didn't want to get tied up in global conflicts. But I am telling you today there came a point where they could no longer stand the annihilation of innocent men and women, boys and girls and the world brought the fight to us and men and women took their senior trips 
overseas and invaded beachheads like Normandy and liberated the European world. Can I tell you today what God is looking for? It's not just a strong physical army, but he is looking for men and women to be in the army of Christ and to rise up and to love their city, to love their streets like Levin Street and Monroe Street and Acadian Village and Willow Glen and Tennyson Oaks and areas of affluency and areas of poverty and people who live under the bridge and people who live in abandoned homes to go to them with the love of Christ, loving them, loving them, loving them when we know they cannot love back and give us anything in return and to give to them when they don't have anything to give back in return. And at that point, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't have to worry about building a kingdom on earth. We don't have to worry about growing a church because Jesus will grow the church. It's not our place to build the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. May we restore the art of neighboring and loving our neighbors the way that Jesus loves them. What is the greatest way to memorialize the men and women that have paid the ultimate price for our nation to go and bear fruit with the victories that they died for. Make it count. Make it count. John Griffin was on top of the world. Newlywed. Had a little baby boy. He thought, man, what can go wrong? Everything is great. Then the year of 1929 happened. The stock market crashed. He found himself broke and with nothing. Nothing. Desperate. Put his wife, his newlywed, new bride in his Model A car. Put his little boy in that car. And they took off driving west. And he managed to find him a job working for the railroad as a bridge conductor. For the first couple of years, it was very tough on him because as he would lift the bridge for ships to go underneath it, as he would lower the bridge for the Memphis Express to cross the, the river, he was kind of resentful. Because he would look and think about all the, the value of the cargo and he would think about the value of all that he lost. He would look at the people passing by on the Memphis Express and he would think about, wow, I was once of that status. And he did this for several years. Matter of fact, it was the year of 1937. He had a newfound epiphany. He said he, his boy began to grow up and he began to think, man, this young man right here, I'm going to bring him to work. I'm going to teach him about what I do. And together we can start over. The very first day the little boy was mesmerized at the power that his father had. With just the touch of one little button or one pull of one lever. That his dad could move such massive structures. I mean you can imagine that. The pulling of one lever how his dad could 
lift that big massive structure up. And so he had his schedule and he would raise and lower the bridge. And it came their lunch break and him and the little boy went out there and took lunch and his dad began to tell him the stories about the ships that they had seen pass by, the rail cars, and all that they were going to be able to accomplish in life together. And all of a sudden, an alarm went off, and he realized that at 104, the Memphis Express was coming, and that he had left the bridge raised, had left it drawn in the air. So he took off running, and he told his little boy, he said, whatever you do, just stay right here. Don't go anywhere. You can't go back with me in this amount of time. And he took off at a breakneck speed to get there. And he made it back into his, his area, his cabin of work, his cockpit, if you will. And he went to lower the bridge. He looked down, and there was his little boy who had fallen on one of those gears that was lowering that bridge. The little boy had apparently tried to follow the the father and had fallen off of the catwalk. And as he looked down at at the gears, his little boy was already bleeding. And he thought, I'll run down there like a hero. I'll rescue my little boy and I'll come back and I'll lower the bridge. The only problem was he didn't have time. He didn't know what to do. And so John Griffin... Buried his face in his arm. He pulled the lever. About the time he heard his little boy begin to scream, the sound of the train passed over. As the train was passing over, John looked up with tears streaming down his face. There was a conductor, he said, looking at his pocket watch from his vest. One man was reading the newspaper. Another was eating ice cream. And he said, I began to yell and beat at the edge of the windows of the the cab that I was in and saying, don't you realize the price I paid? Don't you realize the price I paid for you to cross over this river? Don't you realize the price? There was one boy that he could have rescued or 400 people that he could have put in the river. And this dad chose the 400 over his son. And what I want you to know today, he began to be overwhelmed with tears because nobody even knew the price that he paid. And as we gather around our barbecue pits tomorrow, I want you to think about every home where there's not a dad there, where there's not a mom there. As we enjoy the freedom of going to the beach and enjoying the lake and enjoying our family, realize how many families are not enjoying their family and how many people don't even know the price they paid. That, my brothers and sisters, is memorial. It's that people have paid a price. And can I tell you that Jesus paid the ultimate price. Just like John Griffin, the father, looked down from heaven and saw his son on the cross. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever would believe in and cling to and rely on would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Today, my friends, we as the church of a living God are to take the love of Christ to a world that is entrenched in peril, to a world that is entrenched in hostility, to a nation that is on the brink of turmoil, to a state that is in the midst of conflict, to a city that is overwhelmed in despair. 
to a neighborhood that is overcome in brokenness. That, my friends, is what we're compelled to do. To love like Christ. To give like Christ. And to bear fruit like Christ. Will you accept that challenge? Will you accept that challenge? Will you love like Christ? Will you give like Christ? Will you bear fruit like Christ? Your head bowed today. Maybe you've never accepted the finished work of Calvary. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give freedom if you've never attained it. Maybe today you want to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe today you're just, you're conflicted. Maybe you're conflicted with the hostility in our nation. The social injustice. The racial injustice. Maybe you're conflicted about our military actions abroad. Maybe you're conflicted over the politics of this nation. Maybe you are conflicted with the actions of past presidents and present president. Today, would you take those burdens to Calvary and say, God, regardless of who may be in the White House, regardless of what power may, party may be in power, Lord, I want to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven more than a citizen of the United States. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to love like Christ. I want to give like Christ. And I want to bear fruit for Christ. Today, my friends, this is your altar. God, give us power to obey and strength to respond. In Jesus' name.